This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Ambition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Robertson, who is the consulting partner for Mesh AI. So, Sean, thank you very much for joining us. No problem, Kyle. Really excited by it. I think uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, I feel like I'm, I'm walking in the, in the footsteps of giants, you know, <laughs> like Bill Smart, so Doug Laney. I know you had Di Mays on, you had Rob Walker from Pega. So, no, it's a really good name. So, no, I feel privileged to be here. Thank you. No, the, the pleasure is all ours. So, um, as, as you'll know, then, uh, Sean, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this point, if you would. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I'm going to answer it a couple of different ways, actually, because I think I think the, the second way will be, I think, the basis of our discussion today. Um, so, the first way is, um, yeah, I mean, I started off uh, a wee while now, <laughs> 25 years, um, and... Uh, <laughs> basically building predictive models in the oil and gas industry and then jumped over to banking uh, doing a similar thing in, in risk scoring um, because the data was much better uh, and, and it was kind of you know there was there was more impact from the modeling there and then built up you know big teams there got to kind of heads of analytics within banking and um, so about halfway through though I wanted a bit more change and variety uh, in, the, in the crazy world the data that we work in so I jumped over to the consultancy side and um, where's where I've been for the last uh, 15 odd years um, and you know I've done I've done most jobs in data I think uh, you know I've been head of analytics ahead of data I had a marketing risk um, uh, I have been head of kind of consulting I've been a client director a kind of program director so I've kind of think I think I've done most jobs in data um, and it's it's a great world there's there's so much still to learn so 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 yeah yeah still really enjoying it um and then I think the second answer I think is that actually I think I've lived through the first two waves of data and the first two waves of modeling and I think we're in the, the start of the third wave of data and the third wave of modeling so it's kind of one way I start to start to think about it and um, uh, so, you know, I think you'll know this as well as I do, Kyle, but, you know, the first wave of data was more around kind of data warehouse databases. The second wave of data was about data lakes. And then this mad third world that we're in, who, who knows how to classify it? But let's be honest, it's it's certainly more about what, what does data look like in a federated model? What, how do we manage it on the cloud? Um, how do we make sense of data and make it more discoverable and, and democratize and all that stuff? And then I think on the modeling side, again, I think I've lived through you know, the three waves of modeling. Um, and I think the first wave was effectively kind of predictive analytics and you're really driven by by banking. Um, I think the, the uh, you know, the, the second wave of data was starting to think about more kind of real-time models, more kind of e-commerce type models. And then I think we're in this third wave of data, which we all know the kind of mad models that exist, the things that benefits that we're getting from, whether it's computer vision or NLP and, and those types of things. Um, so I think we're living through the third world, the third wave of data as well. So so it's just so exciting to, to have gone through all these different waves and, and we're at the start of this third wave of data. So that, there's a couple of different ways that I look at my career to date. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about Mesh AI then. It kind of sounds like it'll do what it says on the tin, but um, <laughs> yeah. we, we, uh, we, we, we never like to presume and it's always a good uh, good platform for, for, for you to obviously tell the world a little bit more about the business and because a, a relatively new business still, right? And making some waves in the market for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I believe so. Um, yeah, as, as you rightly point out, Mesh AI, I'll talk about the, the, the name in a minute, but uh, effectively, yeah, yeah, we're a, we're a consultancy that that uses data, machine learning, and AI to drive transformative outcomes for for enterprise organisations. Um, 
So, you know, the, the mesh and the eye is two sides of the, the same coin. And the mesh part, data mesh is, is effectively where it comes from. Um, uh, and, you know, we're, we're huge advocates of kind of federated data management and driving value from that. Um, and then the AI part of it is about, um, you know, really embedding in AI into applications that can create significant kind of measurable value from um, for, for our clients. So, 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 so the two founders, uh, Seb and Matt, they, they created a business before, quite a successful business that made really kind of, uh, kind of global waves as well. Uh, but that business was in technology transformation DevOps, um, and they took that to a more mature state. But what, what they always found is in that world was that data was the drag on application development, as, as we all recognize. Um, and I, you know, it comes back to my point, which I'll probably, probably um, milk for all through the, the thing. Data feels like it's still in the second wave, where actually, you know, DevOps and technology transformation feels like it's in its third wave. So you can see why that was a drag for them. Um, so when they were looking at actually what is the next opportunity for them, they said, look, there must be something we can do in this world of data and AI and, and really drive it forward. You know, I think we'll touch on before, you know, the, the, the metric out there, you know, 90% of machine learning models don't get into production. And there's a number of reasons for that, and we'll, we'll touch on that. But they recognize that as well. So so, um, so they, they created this company to, to try and drive that forward based on more uh, you know, kind of modern data paradigms and, and really driving out, you know, how do we get value from AI? And it really kind of becomes a competitive advantage for um, for organizations. So so that's where we are. Uh, it's, the company is about, well, it's about six, seven months old now. I, you know, I've been in a few scale-ups and if one measure of growth, we, we don't, we measure ourselves by how, you know, how we're transforming clients. But obviously if we measure it by kind of bookings and revenue, um, we, we've, we are going to forecast to achieve in this first year what a company I was in in a similar space achieved in five years. So the, the growth is, is phenomenal. And I think that's because what, what we're talking about is clients are really recognizing that. They understand their data management isn't fit for purpose. They understand that, you know, the end users are frustrated. They, they put a huge amount of investment into machine learning, both the tech and the people, but they're just not seeing that value coming through. So they're saying, how do we, how do we break through this? And so they're looking for an organization like us that can actually do that as well. So, um, so, so that that's really good. I mean, the other factors, I think, for me is we're hiring the best people in the market. Um, so we're really going to take that talent into clients um, and drive that forward. The other thing that I think for me has been quite eye-opening is, is the, the model that we run. Um, so we, we run a squad model, and other people call it squad models and run things like that. But effectively... We run a very tight-knit collaborative team on a client. So it's not just the people who's going to do the delivery. It's people like myself, like consulting partners who kind of join the dots. Um, but on, on that team as well, we also put in a talent person. So a lot of what we do is about transformation. It's not just the tech. It's about how do we upskill the people? How do we take on new people? How do we you know, reshape teams, for example? So talent's absolutely critical to transformation. And the other thing is about the communication. So actually, we have a member of our marketing team go on to every engagement and they look at what's the comms plan like and how do we create a buzz about the program and the work that we're doing in the engagement. And that's a really tight model. So we, we every issue and decision that we make, we make as a team. And um, so that's been quite an eye opener for me. I've seen it happen maybe in, in you know, small glimmers in other organizations, but I've never been in an organization so tight as that. Um, so it's, it's, I think, I think it's going to be a driving force um, going forward. So. Nice. Now that's, that's really interesting. I think, you know, if you think about it holistically, most consultancy businesses, they, they go into an organization, they have a scope of work to deliver and they're building something, whatever the case may be. And then all of these other facets like communication and, and the marketing piece and getting the right talent in to do it or getting the right talent in to the end user so that when you depart, they're in a good place. All of that stuff is kind of just something that's thought about outside of the scope of work normally yeah. right yeah. which is is really interesting for me to hear you say that you're bringing these people into the conversation because ultimately uh, i mean i've had plenty of people sit on this podcast and talk about how you need to have a budget for comms if you're going to do anything transformational with data in an organization right yet yeah, there's it very very rarely happens so it's really really good to, to kind of see you you're talking about that yeah and i suppose the other the other thing is that we're fanatical about business value. And I know you talk about it all the time, rightly so, about, about this. We are fanatical. So we will not start an engagement until we understand what the business case is for this engagement. And, you know, generally it's about obviously driving better value from data. Um, so, you know, we, we will continue to iterate to understand 
you know, who the end users are, you know, end um, product this is going to affect, what's the investment, what return are we expecting from this? Um, so, so we're fanatical about that. And I think, again, that feels very different. You know, a lot of the organizations will come in and, you know, kind of augment a team or, or just work on something, a technical view or something. But for us to do that, um, it really cuts through um, that whole issue that we know. One of the biggest issues about getting value from, from data and AI is about actually being fanatical about the end product that we're producing. So that's really refreshing as well. And again, clients are loving that because they're like, right, okay. And it makes them think as well. If they can't answer the questions that we're asking, generally that's going to be a higher probability that we're not going to get this into production we're not going to get value from it so there's there's an there's there's an alignment between us and the client as well so it's great truly refreshing yeah yeah absolutely um in terms of kind of your role in this then obviously as a consulting partner you know presume you're the face of the project and joining the dots as you Mm. as you said i guess bigger picture within the organization what what work kind of where where are you sat and what are you tasked with achieving in terms of helping the business grow yeah so again we're, we're a pretty flat organization in, in terms of how we work so we're very collaborative um, and each of us has got a role but um you know each of us also um uh, you know supports each other as, as we go through that um so i think as i see my my job is really as i said to, to join the dots so effectively, you know, I I, I work with uh, you know our our kind of sales um, people uh, who are identifying opportunities, identifying um, client problems. So I I take the expertise that I come from industries or from you know data and uh, machine learning analytics to to help them understand the problems initially, uh, and then we start thinking about what the solution could be, what the business case is, and what that transformative element that I mentioned before, and um, so to driving that through. Um, you know, once once we then establish that engagement and you know potentially um, driving that forward, um, I'll start then thinking about what the team structure needs to look like, uh, and, and work with my colleagues in the talent team, for example, to to put the right people on that board. And um, some of our engagements go straight to you know we, we understand what the problem is, so it's kind of start working up the solution. Some of our engagements actually need some early work, so actually, what where are you on the journey? Uh, you know, what do you want to get to? What people process technology data do you need to get to that? What business case do you need to build? So I, I get heavily involved in that just because of my experience. I'm, I'm, you know, as I say, I've got experience across different angles and, and my colleagues have got similar experiences to me. So so we we launch shape potentially a roadmap and our operating model and a business case. And then then I work really closely with the delivery team to, to execute um, on that as well. Um, and then I stay really close to the client as well. I say we're, we're all part of the squad team. That I mentioned, so it's not like I drift off. For example, I always stay with that engagement on, on on that client to make sure that one, you know, what we spoke about earlier is 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 getting um, uh, interpreted uh, by the delivery team. Of course, things change, but the general philosophy of what we're trying to do is, is still there. Uh, and I then, you know, the relationships I built. I guess I'm almost the customer voice for value, so I want to make sure that we're we're really driving the the things we said we would do. So it's a great role. It's it's fascinating, um, uh, and and I absolutely love it. Um, and also, then I get to do things like this as well. So I'm I'm kind of get to go out and uh, and do kind of meetups and uh, podcasts and kind of develop out kind of go to market material as well. So it's a great role. And we're actually we're actually recruiting at the moment for client for consulting <laughs> partners. So I'll yeah. I'll do the publicity at the end as well. But if anyone yeah. listens to this and fancies doing some something similar, then do get in touch. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So let's jump straight into it then. I guess we we'll, we might as well just kick off with the the harder in question around ml and production and and why so many organizations don't get you know 90 percent you mentioned earlier um don't get to production what why does that happen in your opinion yeah um well we actually put a blog out in it um uh God, late last year and you know some some of the issues are are technical um but actually a lot of them are um, people and process uh, associated with that um so and it's really interesting. I'll come back to the ninety percent. The ninety percent um, don't get to production because I think it's one of these kind of mythologies that come from somewhere in the past. And no one knows where it is. So I wanted to test out myself. So I, I did some market analysis, um, and I was uh, Swati Singh, who's one of the managing directors of Barclays Bank, and um, did a survey on on LinkedIn. Had about two hundred responses, and and she was basically asking, look, how long does it take to get a machine learning model into production? Um, and she'd said, look, you'd assume you've got your people lined up, you've got the governance lined up, you've got your data ready. And basically what I'm saying is 40% of machine learning models still take more than six months to get into production, um, which still feels like a long time to get value from that uh, as we go, even particularly lined up all the things that we know are really hard to get going. The other data point I had was 
Um, there's a credit scoring conference that's held every two years in Edinburgh, and it's, it's one of the best in the world. Basically, people come all over the world to go to it. And out of the 20-odd machine learning models that were presented, only four of them were in production, so about 20%. So, so there's there's one reference point that's still similar to the ninety percent of in you know in an advanced industry like you know um, credit scoring. So only um, you know twenty percent of models are getting production, and then even on the other side, that metric about forty percent of models are still taking six months or longer to get into production. So, so that that number still holds true. So, so there's that that's still quite valid. Um, but I think you know we all know that data is is you know the raw um, product of, of getting into machine learning for example um and you know we know that uh, you know the data is either you know not good enough quality it's not discoverable you know it's been easy enough maybe to get data together to build a model on but actually trying to get that into production is 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 really difficult um so there's kind of the poor estimates on on that side of things and then i think there's the business value which i know you're you're really strong on as well um you know actually just making sure that you've you've identified the right problem that's really important for a business and you've identified the right value that's going to be associated with that um, problem and you're not working on things that are lower value for example um, so that that's really really important in the the really complex um, environment that exists in kind of enterprise clients that we work on um, uh, and then I think the team so people aspect of this you know data science teams can be isolated from the business can be isolated from product teams they can be isolated from um, IT teams, for example. Uh, you know, you can hire unicorns who just don't know how to yet navigate organizations. Uh, uh, so that can be uh, really difficult as well. Um, so, so I think, yeah, we we uh, you know we identified three common areas, uh, which was about business value. It was about the team dynamic, uh, and then it was about data issues as well. So, so that that's that's what we've identified as. And actually, a lot of that isn't technical. You know, there's 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 a huge amount of of really good technical solutions out there. Whether it's the cloud providers, whether it's open source, um, yeah, okay, maybe it's a bit hard to pick. You know, what, what you want to go on. There's a there's a debate there to, to about that. But we feel, and our evidence is, the vast majority of problems aren't technical. They're actually just that three areas that I, that I talked about there. So. Yeah, well, I'm really glad um, you said that, Sean, because it gives me some validation about all of the content that I put on, <laughs> put, put on LinkedIn. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, what I'd, what I'd love to get your opinion on then is because, as you said, there's there's a couple of key things that you talked about. You know, the the kind of data management piece, and is the data the right quality? Is it the right data to be to be doing what we what we need to be doing uh, with? is the business value is the use case the right use case and i see that over and over again mm. right businesses have gone out they've built these big data science teams it's probably not been a load of strategy as to why they're doing this but they just want to do it and then you know you've got these really incredibly smart people sat in a room who might not necessarily know how to go and navigate around well yeah. what is yeah. the problem and they create a solution for a problem. It's a problem, but it's not a big enough problem for the business to want to invest money into it, right? So they come and present something. It's nice. It's shiny. It's look at this. And they're like, yeah, that, that's really cool. Yeah, but it's actually not that important to us right now. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. the, the cycle goes on and on and on again. Or as you talked about the data kind of governance and quality piece where trace the tail back why wasn't this as successful as we were hoping mm. because the quality wasn't right or whatever the case may be is there anything other than that that you see is that the bulk of where the the problems come because if if that's the case and again everything in our industry in theory is an awful lot easier said than done right but if that's if that is the case then it seems like there's some pretty obvious fixes for us to increase that number quite dramatically quite quickly so i think i think the problem is so yeah i think it is and, and i think that that's that's what we've identified as as the pro and again in our projects that we come across uh it, it comes up time and time again so so there's not really anything else that comes up in our projects about how how we move these forward um yeah provisioning you know the right um architecture is important you know getting the right you know mlops framework in place is important um, but but generally, you know, these things are are known pro known solutions and known, uh, they're they're quite fixable. And um, I think I think when you say there's fixes in place, um, actually these problems are quite hard to solve because they ge they generally involve people, um, and people are generally the hardest part of this um, uh, this this puzzle to to try and move forward with. So I think that's one one thing on it. 
as we know, as, as I explained at the beginning, again, I will come back to these, these waves, um, that we're in the third wave of data. Uh, and actually, um, the, the third wave of data is, um, is, is actually got so many more options than the second wave of data or the first wave of data. You think the data warehouse world, the data lake world. So actually, the, the, the data world and the data ecosystem we, we live in is, is actually more complicated than it used to be. Um, so that, that's actually, when you get your head around it, it's actually we're, we're, we're creating more issues and more options um, given that you know we, we we solved some of them in, in some of the previous waves, um, so I think I think that's important. Um, and then I think the business value one is, you know, again, it's there. There are templates there that we could work through. You know, we work a lot in lean canvases, uh, so actually, just quite quickly visualizing, you know, what what do we need to do? Who's going to get involved in it? You know, what the enablers to, to drive that forward. So I think the tooling's all there in terms of identifying um, business value. Um, but actually, you know, a lot of organizations we work with, you, you try to map down to say, you know, they may have some headline KPIs that they're working on, you know, whether it's revenue and cost savings, if you're asset industry, it might be some safety things in there. But actually trying to map those really, really high level ones that they go to the market with, coming all the way through to an individual team that's maybe three or four levels down, that, that's generally not well done in organizations. So yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, if, if we've got them, why do we just fix them? I think they're actually quite hard to fix. Um, we think we've got a solution of driving that forward. Uh, and I can talk through that now if you want or leave it till later on. Um, but but there, I think there are ways of cutting through it. So you imagine that it's really messy. Um, it's quite hard to navigate data world, the value world, the people world. So you have to find a way of how do I navigate through that uh, and, and use a plan to do that. And, and I say, I think we've got a way of doing that. So. Yeah, well, we can certainly jump into into that. Yeah. And um, yeah, look, of course, I uh, I know these things are far more complicated than, <laughs> than, than, than the theory might suggest, right? But um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, out of interest, do you think then when you're in there with these clients, I guess, and this is a question that I get asked quite a lot, and ultimately I ask mm -hmm. a lot of business leaders when we're doing mm -hmm. the work we do is, you know, do do you think that most business leaders who are going on this journey, do they understand what constitutes value to them? Or do you think often it's quite it's quite broad brush in terms of, well, of course, we would like to increase revenue or we would like to reduce cost or we would like to mitigate risk or we would like to improve efficiencies or whatever the case may be, or... or do, do most business leaders, in your opinion, kind of have a handle on? Well, this is this might be a use case that we could use it on. So I think just try to think a different. I think because you asked earlier, we were talking about earlier on by industry, for example. Yeah. So does the sector matter then? That's probably a good yes, question. Think, that in terms it, of think... regulation, because I guess if you think about FS from retail, for example, they're two different mm. beasts. We talked about data quality earlier on, right? That, that's a that's a you know the governance piece in those different types of regulated or unregulated industries plays a plays a massive part, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think there's a general underlying themes that we see when we go and talk to clients is that um, you know, the, the understanding and literacy of data um, is, is generally poor outside of data communities. You know, you know, you, you deal with obviously people who, who've lived and breathed like myself, who've done it for 25 years. And um, so understand data, understand the limitations of it and understand how to get value from it. Um, but I think outside of that wider, outside of that community, um, I think that there's a there's an underlying theme of just understanding what, what is data? How do you get value from it? How do you map on to um, you know, business value. Um, and, you know, I've, we, I've used this model in the past. People tend to jump to, as you know yourself, they jump to technology, they jump to um, data, but actually you should start always on, you know, what's the business problem you're trying to solve? What's the KPIs associated with that? What decisions do you need to make to, to make that better? Therefore, what insights do you need? And then you used to go to the data. And so you, you, you go to the right, start on the right rather than that, rather than the left. Um, so that that's one that's one gap I think in terms of leaders um, in 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 organisations in terms of getting value from from data, um, but I think it does it does um, uh, split by industry as well. Um, so I'm thinking yeah, I've done a lot in financial services. Um, so financial services is really interesting because it's been really mature in getting value from data for for a long time, um, but it's heavily governed. So actually getting things going um, through. Uh, governance pipelines uh, and architectural reviews this tends to be quite tricky um, but I think 
and, and also you find that a lot of leaders in um, in financial services are, are quite number savvy, metric savvy. You know, a lot of them are accountants uh, or they've been kind of, uh, you know, they've been through a lot of kind of training on, on the banking side. So they've got a good feel for numbers and the value of them, how to get value out of that. So that's one thing. The other interesting observation I've made, in, and we do a lot of work with um, kind of asset industries. So, you know, oil and gas, uh, utilities, uh, kind of manufacturing, those ones. So a lot of the leaders in these organizations are ex-engineers or they're still engineers, but you're kind of more senior. So engineers are really interested to work with because they really want to understand how things work. Um, and so they've got, they understand numbers, they understand maths, and they also want to really understand how things work. So they're, they're a really engaging group on this. You know, they learn really quickly. They may not know, you know, about data management or AI, but they learn really quickly. So I think I think there's two two industries that that, that have been really um, interesting to work with, um, from from my perspective. So so I think yes, uh, data literacy and data understanding of of AI is is quite low in terms of getting value from it. I think there's a huge amount of hype out there, um, you know, uh, talking about you know the, the, how transformational it's going to be. But I think generally, and that's that's the model we work on. You kind of generally start, you know, um, uh, you know, with with key projects and start to scale and get the value from that. So obviously, have a big vision, a big picture, but but start small and scale up from it. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. So I guess um, we we started to, to creep into kind of the data management piece and things <clears> around <throat> governance and the, the maybe the impact on that has in regards to the the, the sector, but within the kind of machine learning conversation, and I guess this has probably been well documented as we mentioned earlier, you know, many businesses started at that data science piece and mm. tried various things that didn't work for whatever reason. And a lot of that was down to maybe the data management processes, practices, frameworks weren't, you know, weren't quite fit for purpose. But uh, I, I guess talk us through the considerations with regards to data management as a kind of supplementation to getting machine learning right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm sure uh, you and the listeners all know, you know, the machine learning process. So effectively, you know, you basically create your feature store and your, your targets, particularly if you're building a predictive model. Um, but, you know, you're, you're generally going out looking for data. You're joining that in an isolated manner. Um, you are then able to process that, iterate it, clean it and create an experiment almost and then drive out the model from that. Um, and, and that's great. And then you start going, okay, right, how do we actually then make this productionized? How do I go back to all these different source systems that I've actually taken data from and really understand how do I move this forward into more of an engineering type pipeline and, and drive that forward? Um, so I think the, the you know the, the aspects of, of, of data management associated with that are, are interesting and, and quite challenging. Um, so you know, how do you work back from the machine learning model and go, right, okay, here's the data I need. Um, here's the features I need to build. Here's the data quality associated with that I need to build. Here's the latency on the data I need. Uh, and then start working that back from there. And basically, you know, start working up, building the data engineering pipeline um, associated with that. Um, so I think there's there's those aspects that, that we need to um, work through. Um, then understanding the sources that this come from, how reliable are those sources uh, you know, what SLAs are associated with those um, sources um, and then start building that into the engineering pipeline um, as well. So um, I think modern modern data practices are starting to look more at things like data products. Um, so effectively, uh, instead of relying on, you know, data warehouses or data lakes, for example, that potentially have, have been built up over time, some of the lineage has been lost. Um, some of that, you know, the, the reliability has been lost around that. It's unknown, some of the quality aspects of, of those different sources. So actually, can you start building up a kind of more product-oriented view about actually what is the downstream use of this? Um, can you make things more discoverable? Um, can you make them more reliable? Can you have more stamps and versions associated with those data products? So there, I think there's a there's a there's a shift to having a more modern view on on the data pipelines um, associated with that, which are more focused. Um, I remember when I, I used to work for one of the big data warehouse vendors, um, and the philosophy there was, you know, we will answer any question that the data um, brings to it, but they didn't actually weren't specific on what those questions should be. So again, it was very much like 
you know, build it and they will come, um, which, which you know, it, it is, is broken because ultimately you're not building out for use cases. You're not building out for business value. You're always just continuing to build. Where the data products are the opposite, which is actually if you have got use cases that are associated with those data products, then you can build it from there. So, so I think I think that's that's some interesting, hopefully, um, perspectives on on building out the kind of data management that's associated with that. So. Yeah, yeah. I think the the data products arena is is definitely becoming a driving force from seeing and hearing a lot of businesses that are, are moving to that kind of way of working. And that seems to be kind of moving the industry along a little bit quicker than it has been, right? You know, and it, it almost seems a little bit easier to start to understand, okay, well, what, what's it going to cost us to build this product? And then what do we get out of the other side of it? Whereas, a, you know, more centralized arrangement can often be, well, <laughs> where does this start and end, you know, uh, in terms of cost and, and stuff like that? Um, what, what's the what's the direct relation between building data products and what can be done from a machine learning perspective then? Does that make it more targeted, I presume? Um, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think there's elements. There's a number of different elements to it. Um, I think there's um, one is there's the element of reuse. Um, so effectively, you know, instead of just building one-off feature stores, for example, for machine learning, you can actually start building, um, uh, you know, the, this kind of data products associated with that. And then because the because it starts iterating over many machine learning models, for example, you can get a huge amount of reuse from it. Um, and then a huge amount of reliability from it and discoverability. And so basically it becomes a kind of an almost exponential growth um, associated with those um, kind of data products as well. So I think I think that's that's definitely one angle to it. Um, I think the the angle of, uh, you know, reliability, um, versionability, you know, they, they all become really, really important as well. So you kind of lose that with some of the bigger platforms. So you're trying to build... You know the machine learning models uh, that that need to be um, you know consistent and reliable, and um, but sometimes some of that gets lost. So I think that product view um, allows that um, you know that 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 reliability that that's that's required in building that out. So I think there's that's the certain angles that they come from, and I think they come. I think the other more philosophical discussion that comes from that is you're you're moving away from a technology discussion. You're not just talking about you know a data lake or a data warehouse or, or whatever. You're talking about something as a product. So you have end users, and then obviously you've got suppliers of that. And then the tech almost becomes the, the, the third thing you should discuss rather than actually coming with the structure beforehand. So actually, um, then you know, you're talking about how the end user is going to get from this with so the machine learning models, for example. You know, how can you satisfy what, what their requirements are and, and and produce that right? So so I think I think that it's, that's a powerful concept here. It's, and I think one, one of my colleagues, Tarek, talks about it's not so much the, the 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 end product that you get out of it, it's actually the process of defining what the product is that's actually the most useful part of this process. Because a product is, can be very broad in terms of what it could be one table, it could be a number of tables, it could be various other things. So it's actually going through and taking a product philosophy that's one of the most useful things of this, of this and getting away from just talking about tech or you know data structures or data models, for example. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's t- it takes us to a place very quickly of why are we building this? Who is going to use it? And what do we get out of the time and money it costs us to build it? Right, because it's something tangible that people will use fairly quickly once it's once it's built, which which makes um, which makes perfect sense for sure. Yeah. So and I think sorry, I was going to say the other, the other aspect of the products is that there's clearer ownership. Of, of this, you know, I think again, you know, I go back to my waves one and two, you know, waves one and two of, of data management, whether it's the warehouses or, or lakes, there was a, a general lack of ownership, or if the owners, the owners tend to be IT, and, and IT have got a different objective than, say, you know, uh, somebody in marketing, for example, somebody in risk. So actually, if you start thinking about these things as products, then you, you identify data product owners. And those data products owners, in, in the best sense, should be domain owners. They should be close to the business, for example. So then you get you get the people owning that are much more engaged in what the product is, how useful it is, how to improve it, for example, measuring the value that comes from that product. So so there's, there's and again, it comes back to what I was saying at the beginning, a lot of these things aren't technical. They're about the people, they're about the business value. So, so actually, a, a, a product type approach drives not only a kind of technical approach, but actually drives an ownership that, that really 
it doesn't exist very often in organizations about who owns the data. And okay, great, you might have owned it, create some data owners, but in the end, they don't really have a huge interest in that data because they don't see the implications of of poor data quality or, or you know, data not being reliable in terms of the pipeline. So I think that's a really important aspect that, that we see as well, and which we advocate for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess one thing I was really keen to ask you, Sean, is kind of at, at what point organizations should be considering machine learning. Um, and again, you know, we all know there's plenty out there that probably went there too soon, right? But, um, you know, when you when you go into an organization, you're having these discussions around, you know, the business value that businesses could get out of, of machine learning, you know, is, is there a kind of start point to this journey for them you know they need to be in a certain place shall we say to, to kind of you know reap the rewards you know i always come back to value um and the problems that you're starting you're trying to solve and against a product oriented approach so you know what what problems are you trying to solve for you know your business or your end users um, and, and then start to work out what those problems are and then you can start iterating what solutions they may be um and you know a huge amount of solutions, you know, there's the maturity curve that you've seen, and I'm sure the listeners have all seen, you know, you, you obviously start off with reporting, dashboards, analytics, and then start moving to the more, you know, advanced type um, approaches. Um, and, you know, generally the the simpler, less sophisticated approach is, is going to be less time consuming, less investment than some of the more sophisticated approaches, as we all know. So, so in the end, it's like, what problem are you trying to solve? Can a simple set of analytics or dashboards solve that problem quicker than a machine learning model, for example? So, so I think that's that would be one one thing I would always encourage an organisation to to think about. So again, always start with the problem is always start with, um, you know, what uh, metrics you're driving that with. What decisions do you need to make to try and make that problem better or solve the problem? What insights do you need? Can those insights be driven from simple insights like sets of rules? reports for example um uh, if if there seems like a more um uh, you know sophisticated route that's going to drive value for it then definitely go down that route so that that's that's one approach to it and um, you know th- there are things out there that that we know are um, hugely powerful i've done a lot of work in computer vision for example you know so so that is that is an area of ai services that we know exists and they're hugely powerful and are continued to grow um, you know, things like faces and buildings are basically solved problems. You know, I've done a lot of work in oil and gas, but, you know, offshore installations, trying to identify piece of equipment offshore installations aren't solved problems. We do, we have the tech to solve them, but yet there's still work to do to, to get that going. So so we know that actually where, where some of the solution is to get that way, um, to get that going. I suppose, you know, language is another one like NLP solutions. You know, we know that there's actually a huge library of solutions out there for for those types of things. So, so I think I think it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. You know, a huge amount of problems can be solved by really simple, you know, insights, for example. Um, and some problems we already know that are solved. And you know, like computer vision, so you know, try and recognize um, those images, for example, or NLP as well. So, so, so there's nuances to the conversation, but I think that that philosophy about you know starting the value starting with insights that are driving decisions, then working to the, um, the actual data and the, the tech is 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 one that's, that's that I've used for over the years and so always served me well. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. I guess in terms of organisations out there that have been really successful, um, and I'm not asking you to, to name names here, but um, I guess what typically are the companies doing that have been really successful with machine learning what are they doing that the companies who aren't being successful not doing if that makes sense yeah yeah no it's it's a it's a it's a really good point um uh, i'll tell you one one you know one um person set of books that i always go back to is thomas davenport uh do you remember the kind of computer competing on analytics um from from a few years ago now um and you know he came up with a, almost a formula for success for for analytics and um, and, and one of the key things that he said was um, picking a one area of the business that you want to be known for, um, you know, the Tesco kind of uh, Dunhumby example is a key one. We want to be known for loyalty. So actually we're going to start, and, you know, obviously you can expand out as an organization. And again, that's our philosophy as well, is picking some compelling um, reasons to, to act. But, you know, if you, if you pick on actually one area of business that you want to be really, really successful, you want to really be known for, um, then actually focusing on that 
Um, I think organisations that have had that kind of steely focus have done better than other organisations. You know, Netflix is well known for the recommendation engine, actually. So there's there's another example as as we drive that forward as well. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other organisations as well. So um, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the core thing. Everything falls behind that. Everything else is a, almost an enabler or a capability. If you can focus on one part of your organization you want to do really, really well and then continue to focus on that. Um, I think that's that's um, where, where you'll see. The other one was around um, Royal Bank of Canada as a, as a prime one as well. Um, and they wanted to always focus on customer value. So they, are, they were, again, obsessed with customer value. How do we calculate customer value? How do we balance off, you know, customer experience with customer value that, that we're driving as an organization as well? And again, they were known for being really, really good at that and continue to focus on that. Um, and, and they were hugely successful just focusing on that. So, so that's the one thing I would say for organizations to, to pick an area you want to be really, really good at and just continually focus on that and keep on iterating. And then what has that has a halo effect because then you start building out you know, all the capabilities associated, but you start getting better, better data management. You start getting better at value recognition. You, your analysts and your data scientists start getting better at actually integrating with the business. You've got success stories to talk about for the organization. So it, it has this huge halo effect um, that associated with that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess then obviously other parts of the business take note, right? When the the comms are going around about what's, um, you know, all of the success stories, and then they want in on the action as well, right? Yeah. Which drives yeah, drives more work, which is good. Okay, fine. I guess in terms of machine learning, I guess we're still relatively in quite a immature infant stage, right? In comparison to data and analytics in its entirety and obviously mm. that's still in a relatively infant and immature stage in comparison to other you know other domains out there shall, shall we say where do you see machine learning being in kind of three to five years time yeah no it's it's a really it's a really interesting question i think it comes, probably comes back to my the point i made at the beginning about you know 90 percent of, of, of these machine learning models aren't in production and you know the 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 you know the, the reasons for that generally is business value, getting more integration with the teams and then you're sorting the data out. So um, so I think if we look at those drivers, um, I think we start with the data one, I think, as I mentioned before, we're in the third wave of data. I think, you know, as, as more federated data management comes in, more domain ownership, um, I, I think that's going to take off. Um, so therefore, I think we'll solve more data problems. It's still going to be hard, right? So we might, we might push the dial up a bit. Um, but you know, so I think we're going to we're going to certainly solve a lot more of those those data issues, making data more accessible, and making it more discoverable, making it more reliable. So I think that's that's going to be something interesting for the next few years. Um, I think then the the data science and and teams and understanding of data is going to increase as well. Um, I think we've, as you've mentioned about you know people taking on data science teams and then being isolated from the business, not working on the right problems. That will improve as as generally. You know, more and more people come into it. There's more recognition of that, of, of the failures and, and moving it forward. More leaders, as we talk about business, will understand more about the value of data and the limitations, let's be honest. I think that's the problem at the moment. They don't understand the limitations of, of how to get value from machine learning. Um, and then I think the other, the business value of it, aspect of it, um, I think you'll get um, more organizations will become um, smarter at getting that business value from it. Um, I think you'll get more leaders of the business either becoming more educated on it um, or you'll get more data people who are promoted. I think it goes back to the point we talked about earlier on about, you know, different industries have got different types of people. You know, you've got asset industries with engineers, you go your banking with accountants, for example, you've got other industries, um, you know, uh, people rising up the ranks. You're going to get a lot more data people rising up the ranks uh, and so I think they're going to be a lot more aware of, of what can actually happen. So, um, so I think you know, notice I didn't touch one one aspect of machine learning advancement. You know, one aspect of technology. It's all about how do you drive more from these these barriers that exist. I think uh, let's be honest, machine learning is 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 insane at the moment. Um, you know, you've got you know the deep neural networks, such an advanced stage. You've got things like transformers coming out that's going to really revolutionise that as well. 
You've got the, I guess, things like XG Boost, which is just such a fast way of getting machine learning into, uh, or at least getting the models working and, and get some value and understanding out of it. So, so all of the, the, the technology itself is advancing at a fair pace. And so all of that's really going to help uh, as well as the, the non-technical factors that I mentioned. So, um, and I think industry as well. So, you know, I've done a lot of work in financial services. There's a huge maturity, for example, in financial services around getting value from data and around modeling and stuff. And so there's still areas in financial services that aren't great, you know, fraud, KYC, for example, um, marketing probably that still need a lot of work there. Other industries that, that I work really closely with, like manufacturing and, and utilities and, and oil and gas, are really at the start of their journey. So actually, they are going to just, you know, they're going to take all the learnings that exist for other, other industries. They're going to work with organizations that are, you know, more forward thinking like ourselves. And that's really just going to crash through and really drive a lot of value from this. So, so I think it's a, it's such an exciting time to be in, in this space. And I think we're coming through the third wave, as I mentioned. And I think the third wave is going to be uh, a, a really interesting wave to be in. Yeah, it's a really, um, really interesting point, isn't it? Because the businesses that are further back in that journey or, you know, a more infant stage of, of that journey, kind of looking around and taking stock of <laughs> of some of the barriers that that you know have stopped other businesses and other sectors being successful and, and will probably just be able to plow straight through them um not easily of course but you know they're, they're probably learning from from what's going on around them which makes uh, makes things really really interesting um last question from me before we wrap up does the the kind of this new product way of thinking within data and analytics and, and ml does does that start to solve some of the kind of data science isolation issues? Do you think? Do you think you're going to start seeing these like squad-based teams that work by domain and domain? So you know it's it's being really driven from within. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and again, you know, you think there's a number of aspects of that. Um, you know, d- different roles are coming out. You know, so you know, product owner has always been, um, you know, a big role in obviously agile development. But you know, data product owners are starting. You'll, you'll probably see that yourself. People will start recruiting for data product owners. Yep. Um, so, so different role types are coming out of this. Um, you get things like um, MLOps engineers as well. So, so they're starting to bridge the gap between. You know, a, a you know a more purist uh, data scientist um, with a you know a more purist data engineer. So there's there's a different role types coming out of this. And um, I think you're right in that organisations are adopting more product agile ways of working. They've they've always had a, a stab at them, but they've never really been able to really drive it forward. And um, so I, I do I do think that that's becoming and these things take years. You know, I think I think the learnings from you know let's say my work closely with my colleagues and the founders of the business. The, the, the DevOps world, it took years. It didn't happen overnight. You know, DevOps took, you know, three to five years to, to really come through as, as a practice. And again, that's a culture, team, agile, tooling, you know, ways of working, all those different things. And I think we'll start to see the same thing. So, so they, you know, the agile ways of working, the squad-based models will, will start to come through in that, being focused on product-based outcomes, having different role types within those teams, uh, which which really kind of helps bridge some of the gaps that, that have that have existed um, before um, that product orientation about you know value measurement, uh, continuous improvement, always thinking about the end user, and um, which I think has been lacking in the past. So so yeah, it's definitely going to drive through, and it's going to be an exponential growth as over the next few years. Yep, I know I said um, a few moments ago, Sean, that that was my last question, but uh, unfortunately I lied to you. I've got I've got one more <laughs> before I, before I let you leave. The the whole data mesh scene is is fascinating from the outside, mm. like looking in, and, and we're involved in a few projects actually yeah. across Europe where they're being implemented and, and stuff like that. But just keen to get your overall thoughts on the world of data mesh and what the future holds for that and because there's not that many businesses out there that have gone and implemented it and are kind of you know up and running with it but do you expect that to to change um yes yeah we do um and i think we're we're really fortunate as uh see my colleague Tarek, who's our data cto i think he's he's probably one one of the few data leaders in the uk has actually started on a data mesh um uh uh, I think it's public domain on CMC, which is a kind of um, markets company. So we're fortunate to have someone like him in the company um, that, that's got experience of, of, of starting on that journey and get some early value from it. So, 
Um, I, you know, like anything, I, I, I do love the Gartner hype cycles. I think we're probably at the top of the the, the hype curve on, on on this, and we yeah. we generally don't get involved in some of the, the the debates that go on. We just try and think about value and, and driving this forward. But I think if you if you if you move away from from some of the stuff that the, the baggage associated with it, if you think about the components of it. Um, which is thinking, you know, product oriented thinking, uh, you know, for for around data, data as a product. That's some of your huge advocates of, and, and, and it really, really works. Um, really were well, you know, kind of domain ownership, and um, trying to break down these, you know, these big monoliths that have existed in the past. And um, that definitely seen some value from that. And we see organisations um, driving that forward as well. Uh, I know you had. Um, uh, Andy McMahon on recently, so I, I've done a lot of work with NatWest in the past, and, I, and I, this isn't—I don't think this isn't in the public domain—but they've definitely gone down a route of kind of more domain ownership, you know, for their engineers. You know, uh, I think um, Kaushik on the Snowflake team or for the climate was talking about that recently. So, so organisations are starting to go down that route already and get benefit from, um, you know, kind of domain um, ownership um, and moving that forward. You know, we, the self-service platform aspect of it is really interesting mentioned before there's so many options now in the cloud it's so easy to provision stuff so you have to kind of step away a bit and go right okay well what do i what am i trying what's their purpose and what am i trying to do so that that's really powerful as well and then i think you know governance is, is always going to be important in data in terms of its, its risk and getting value from it but trying to manage that so there's you know, the, the, some of the rules are set potentially you know centrally but you know, executed in you know kind of more federated models, going to make it hugely powerful, and it gets more ownership out to the domains as well. So I think I think the the components and the principles of what this stands for are are really powerful, and we're starting to get some real big benefits from it already in terms of the work that we're doing. So so I think watch this space um, uh, as, uh, as as we drive this forward. Um, obviously, some again, you know, uh, some organisations are going. We've got tech; it's going to solve data mesh. You know, we all know that's that's not where it's at. It comes back to exactly what we're trying to do. What are you trying to do as an organization? What's your purpose? What's the big thing you want to try and work on and solve? Actually, right, align your people behind that, align your data behind that, um, you know, align your processes behind that. And here's a more modern way of working. Give it a go, try it. You might fail, you might learn, iterate and keep iterating. So that that that's our philosophy on it. So. Nice, nice. Um, well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, having you on the show, Sean. How do people reach out if they want to work for you? Because I know that you're hiring a lot. Um, mm-hmm. If they want to work with you, um, mm-hmm. you know, interested in, in partnering with Mesh AI or just want to pick your brains about machine learning or anything that's associated, what's the best way for them to? to, to yeah, yeah. And um, please, I mean, I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, obviously, Sean Robinson, consulting partner. Please, uh, please go for that. Uh, and that's probably a good way to do it. Um, we've got Meshi AI um, website. Uh, you can reach our talent team. Uh, there's all the active roles that are that are available on on there as well. Um, and uh, so that's that's probably the, the best ways to to reach out. My email address is sean.robertson at, at mesh-ai.com. If anyone wants to reach out to me that way as well. So. Perfect. All right. Well, Sean, look, um, looking forward to seeing how this journey for you and uh, Mesh AI unfolds. But um, let's keep in touch, and we'll speak soon. Thanks very much, Kyle. All right. Speak soon. Bye. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.